The following podcast is part of the MindBodySpirit.fm podcast network. Meditation doesn't have to be a solo practice. Meditation is more fun with friends. Looking for a way to drop in and hang out at the same time? Join us online at Omega Institute for a meditation party with self-proclaimed meditation nerds Dan Harris, host of the 10% Happier podcast, Sabene Selassie and Jeff Warren. This three-day retreat will stream live from Omega's Hudson Valley Campus, May 17th to 19th. Don't miss the party. Reserve your spot at eomega.org slash party today. You're listening to Unity Online Radio, the voice of an awakening world. Thank you for tuning in for this Unity Partner Program. Unity Online Radio partners with spiritual leaders from organizations whose mission and messages complement Unity's. We are pleased to bring you this program on Unity Online Radio, the voice of an awakening world. Welcome to Main Street Vegan with host Victoria Moran. Victoria is an author, inspirational speaker, and a certified holistic health counselor and vegan lifestyle coach. She's here to entertain, educate, and inspire you on your journey to look and feel amazing, eat extraordinary food, help animals, and create a physical body perfectly attuned to spiritual growth. Now, let's get this party started. Here is your host, Victoria Moran. Everybody and welcome to the Main Street Vegan Show. I'm Victoria Moran, and I am so happy that you're joining us in a very, very jam-packed, full of things and breaking news kind of show today. I'm actually juice fasting. Remember, a couple of weeks ago, we had somebody on who was offering fifty percent off. Actually, she's still offering fifty percent off on juice cleansing from RawGeneration.com. If you want to put in the code vegan, but that kind of inspired me and I got my husband on board with me. So we're drinking juice and we're still upright and it's all good. I like to do this around the time that the seasons change. And since sometimes it looks like spring never arrives in New York City, I figured maybe if I did a season changing thing, the seasons might change. I also want to let you know before I bring on our first guest to take a look at this week's blog at MainStreetVegan.net. Now, You know that the blog is done by me once a month, and the rest of the weeks are covered by graduates of Main Street Vegan Academy. They're always different. They're always fascinating. And this one is so, so powerful. I really want to remind you to go to MainStreetVegan.net slash blog and check out this post. It's called Remember to Never Forget by a lovely woman named Stephanie Jorian. She's down there in Orlando, and she answers the I could never give up cheese argument more poignantly and more profoundly than I have ever heard or read anywhere. So check out Stephanie's post. I think you'll be very glad that you did. And you'll be very glad that you're listening to the Main Street Vegan Show today as I start bringing on our wonderful array, our triple array of guests. We're going to be starting with Jessica Young of Young's Pop-Up. Do you all have pop-up restaurants in your area? They are quite the thing in so many cities. We're going to be talking to her about that. Then we'll bring on Paula Burton, U.S. Director of Animals Asia. And finally, Paul Shavu. Hero, Vice President of Farm Animal Protection for the Humane Society of the United States. So we've got a big, big show for you today. And Jessica's with us already. Jessica Young, how are you? I'm great, Victoria. Thank you for having me. Well, it's wonderful to know about you and about all the things you're doing. Jessica Young is a Michelin-rated restaurant veteran who, with her colleague Alexander Myers, opened Young's, a 100% plant-based pop-up restaurant and catering company in New York City. So exciting. How did your project begin? 
Well, we actually began this project over a year ago, and it really was put together um, by Alexander and I's passion for vegetables and the local sustainable movement, um, and really focusing on the ingredients uh, of the land um, around the city and the green markets and what they offer. Oh, that's so beautiful. It just makes me want to come to dinner. And actually, I will be coming to dinner because you are having a pop-up in New York City, May 1st, 2nd, and 3rd. Now, for people who don't know about this pop-up phenomenon, what is it exactly? So, the pop-up phenomenon is um, kind of self-explanatory. It's you pop up in a space for a limited amount of time, whether it's a night or a month or a few weekends. Um, and it's a great way for especially restaurateurs and chefs to introduce their concept to a new market. Um, a really famous one was Danny Bowen with Mission Chinese, who came out from L.A. and started his whole thing in New York. So there's been a lot of people going from the city uh, out to L.A., uh, like Russ and Daughters and Salabusta, um, sharing their concepts with a new market. So for us, um, you know, Young's being completely new to the New York City market, um, it gives us a public platform and has allowed us to give um, the New York City diners a snapshot of what we hope to create with our food here. Oh, that's oh, it's so delicious, even in advance. So what can we expect at those upcoming May 1st, 2nd, and 3rd pop-up experiences if we're here in New York? Well, our food um, is actually paired with beer and cocktails. So everyone who's gotten a ticket um, would have chosen that, um, and that's kind of part of what we create with our food. Um, and each dish, it'll be a three-course meal, uh, is uh, centered around a seasonal vegetable or fruit. So um, in our three courses, we're starting with a fava dish, which will have a spring pea custard, some chickpea crisp, mint, um, very spring and seasonal. Then we're doing a ramp course. Um, and for those of you who don't know what ramps are, they're actually a wild spring onion native to the Americas the northeast of America. So that's a very special ingredient that has just come in and hit the markets. We'll be using tons of those on our second course. And then we're actually doing a beet dish for the dessert, uh, focusing on uh, sweet beets, blackberry, cocoa butter, and um, some dark chocolate ice cream from our friends over at Van Leeuwen. Wow, I've never had beets for dessert, but I guess I will soon. Yeah, (laughs) a lot of people have never had beets for dessert, but uh, it's very good. So people can find you at youngsnyc.com. And if you're listening today to the Main Street Vegan Show and you sign up to go to dinner on May 1, 2, or 3, 2014 here in New York City, put in the promo code hashtag MainSTVegan, Main Street Vegan, but abbreviate street, you'll get yourself a free glass of bubbly. That's pretty yeah. festive. It is well, festive. We want to do something special for the listeners. Oh, thank you, Jessica. I appreciate that. Now, just quickly in our last minute or so here, how has the introduction of a vegan diet impacted you personally? I know you're a, a cuisine person, and, and sometimes it's hard for, for people with a gourmet background to embrace being vegan. Yeah, um, doing this whole project has really opened my eyes. Uh, and the vegan community has been so uh, welcoming and educational uh, towards me and the project. Um, and, you know, for a person who was French trained in cuisine and has worked in these restaurants, um, it was definitely not an easy switch, um, but it's been a really exciting ride. Um, I now have transitioned to wearing vegan makeup and um, trying to get the fashions um, aligned with the food that I now enjoy and love and promote and am all about. So it's been such an exciting journey, and I feel like I've only hit the tip of the iceberg. How exciting. I love baby vegans. <laughs> you have so yes, much ahead of you. Young, young, yes, I'm a young vegan. <laughs> oh, that's, that's wonderful. So all the best to you and everybody who's interested in going to dinner in New York City, youngsnyc.com. The phone number is 
7944 and that code is main st vegan thanks a lot jessica and everybody thanks. see you at dinner <laughs> very good stay with us we'll be back with paula burton with paul shapiro and more great info right here on the main street vegan show on unity online radio the voice of an awakening world Unity Online Radio is affiliated with Unity, a nonprofit organization specializing in prayer, publishing, and spiritual education. If you enjoy our programming and would like to support this ministry, go to www.unity.fm and click on Donate Now to make a contribution. You can make a one time or recurring monthly donation. Thank you. What if you could experience vibrant health, help heal the planet, and be a great friend to God's animal kingdom through simple choices you make at breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Authors Victoria and Adair Moran say you can do this easily, affordably, and deliciously in their new book, Main Street Vegan. Everything you need to know to eat healthfully and live compassionately in a real world. Loaded with practical tips, straightforward information, and fabulous recipes, Main Street Vegan will help you on your journey toward a plant-based diet. The perks include more energy, an easy way to keep your weight where you want it, feeling younger as you grow older, and maybe even a boost to your spiritual life. Purchase Main Street Vegan from BN.com. Amazon.com or your favorite bookseller. If I were brave, I'd walk the razor's edge where fools and dreamers dare to tread and never lose faith. How is life working for you? Would it be okay with you if life got easier, simpler, yet more meaningful and vibrant? Join certified life coach Carla McClellan Tuesday afternoons for Vibrant Living. Each week, Coach Carla and her guests will share strategies and solutions designed to make your life more vibrant. Is there something in your life you'd like help with? A dream you'd like to achieve? A relationship you'd like to improve? Call into the show toll-free for Coaching with Carla. That's Vibrant Living, Life Coaching with Carla, Tuesdays at 3 p.m. Central on Unity Online Radio, the voice of an awakening world. What if we're all meant to do what we secretly dream? You're listening to Main Street Vegan with Victoria Moran. If you have questions or comments about today's topic or any other area of interest, we invite you to follow Victoria underscore Moran on Twitter or email her at MainStreetVegan at UnityOnlineRadio.org. Now, back to Main Street Vegan. Hi, everybody. Welcome back to Main Street Vegan. I want to just interject something here that makes me so proud of my peers in, in this movement for greater compassion. Now, I had Jessica for the first 10, and I had Paul Shapiro from Humane Society of the United States for the next two segments, and then I heard about this really important effort from Animals Asia that can actually save, I believe the number is 130 bears from some horrific conditions that you will hear about in a minute, and I had never asked anybody to give up any of their scheduled time. But I wrote to Paul and said, please, I'm so sorry, but Animals Asia can save these. And he wrote back and he said, of course, take the time. We've got to save those bears. And I love it that we really are in this for the animals. And that just makes me feel really, really good. 
So Paula Burton is with us right now from the Animals Asia office in San Francisco. Paula is U.S. Director for Animals Asia, an international nonprofit devoted to ending the barbaric practice of bear bile farming and improving the welfare of animals in China and Vietnam. She's devoted her professional career to the nonprofit sector and brings over 11 years experience in development and fundraising. She's also worked for a hunger relief organization and has worked on campaigns for the Children's Hospital and the University of Colorado. Welcome, Paula. Thanks, Victoria. Happy to be here. Oh, well, I am so happy that you have the opportunity to do this rescue. It's called the Nanning Rescue, if I'm pronouncing that right. You can tell me if I'm not. So how did this come about? Well, we were really fortunate, um, and this is is monumental because normally this would not happen, but the farmer actually approached us and um, has about 130 bears on his farm and decided that kind of realized that, that, that the treatment of these bears was extremely barbaric and um, wanted them to have a better life and wanted to shut down um, that part of his, of his farm. And so he approached us and said, hey, what can you do? Um, I, I, am, I don't want to be a part of this industry anymore. And, now, Paula, uh, let, let me interrupt you. I'm so sorry. But yeah. for people who don't know what we're talking about, and I should have thought of this a minute ago, that's when we right. talk about a farmer with bears, I'm sure some people are thinking bears, people eat bears. It's not that. So tell us about no, bear bile farming and I then about I'd be more this. than happy to. It's, yeah. um, it's, it's common in China, and what they do is the Asiatic black bear, which is also known as the moon bear, um, they'll keep them in cages and they'll um, insert a catheter into their gallbladder, which is extremely painful, and they'll... Um, extract bile from them that they use in traditional Chinese medicine and just even kind of everyday uh, sort of items. And so there's roughly around 10,000 bears right now in China and um, who are being used for this use. And it's, bears can be, these bears can live up to 30 years. So they're in these uh, small, tiny, confined cages uh, for most of their life. Um, they can't even get up and move around. And uh, it's, a lot of them die from liver cancer and other diseases. Uh, because of what's being done to them. So a lot of our work is focused on um, ending the, the bear bile farming uh, industry in general. And uh, this nanning project is really giving us that platform to do so. Oh, that's very exciting. So this one is yeah. different from other rescues in that the farmer is with you. Yeah, we were approached by him, which is really wonderful. And um, again, not very common in this industry. So we um, are really happy to partner with him, and kind of what makes us a little bit different is that we, um, in the past, have rescued a lot of bears and brought them to, we have two sanctuaries, one in uh, uh, Chengdu, China, and then another one in Vietnam, uh, right outside of Hanoi, and this one, we're actually taking the farm and converting it into a sanctuary, so it's uh, extremely, extremely exciting uh, right now for Animals Asia. Oh, I should say, so what can we all do to help? Uh, really, we're, we just kind of want to spread the word. Um, that's a big thing. And also, it's uh, monetarily, it's going to be uh, quite a big feat. It's going to be about $5 million for us to um, to, to take this uh, farm and change it into a sanctuary. And we're also taking about 28 of the sickest bears uh, May 5th, and we'll be bringing them to our sanctuary in China to, so they can get some health checks and get some good care. Um, that they need. So it's about a $5 million project. So, of course, we're looking for donations um, if people are available to, to give in that way. And then also just awareness. So if people uh, want to visit our Facebook page or um, uh, get, in, get in touch or involved with us through social media and just kind of spread the word about this, we would be extremely grateful. Well, g- give me your Facebook page and your website. The website is animalsasia.org, and people can find us on Facebook, um, just Animals Asia as well. Okay. Now, I've seen some video of your rescue efforts and, and the bears in the sanctuaries, and I, it's, I'm speechless at, at how yeah, yeah. delightful these animals are, and then, of course, also just brought to my knees by what they undergo when they're on these bile farms. But I have heard a lot of people say there's so much cruelty going on close by I just can't think about something happening far away. What do you say to people like that? I think it's 
it's kind of our, our duty, I think, especially um, for any person or animal who can't fend for themselves, that, again, the, there's over 10,000 bears in China being treated this way that we would never allow happen in the U.S. And um, I think it's really important that people um, recognize that and, and try to help stop this because it is definitely something um, that can be stopped. There's no need for it to happen. There's uh, synthetic forms of bear bile that can be used. Um, so there really is no reason for this uh, barbaric treatment of of these of these beautiful creatures. So I think it's it's sort of our duty to step up and uh, raise our voices and uh, try to end this. Oh, that's really wonderful. Thank you for what you're doing. Uh, that's AnimalsAsia.org or on Facebook, Animals Asia. And also, uh, while I have you here, Paula, can you just give us a little rundown on animal issues in general, particularly in China. I feel like China is such a big player on the world stage, and we don't often know what's going on there. Yeah, so with Animals Asia, our focus is, uh, we have three focuses. Uh, ending bear bile, the bear bile industry is definitely our largest one, uh, but also cat and dog welfare, um, as maybe a lot of people kind of maybe recognize a little bit more in China, um, kind of ending and working a little bit more on uh, the education around that. Um, and then zoo and safari parks as well, and uh, uh, teaching people a little bit more. Our, our focus is in China, being able to educate folks on, um, on just being, on just being uh, you know, treating animals fairly as they deserve. So it's, uh, it's kind of a, it's, it's an exciting time for the bears, but we also do focus overall on uh, the general welfare of, of all animals in, in Asia, particularly China. And what do you see in China? I mean, I know there were, there were years of, of the very oppressive sort of, of communist regime, and I know that's loosening in, in some ways, but it's such a different culture from ours, and it seems that there are so many things for the people there to be thinking about. Are people thinking about animals? They are, and, you know, I think it's um, maybe not completely fair for us to assume that that all um, people in China, you know, live this certain way. A lot of them are very against um, the bear bile farming, against uh, against cat and dog eating cat and dog meat, um, and so it's and they're, they're they're definitely willing to step up. I think it's up to us to kind of again help them get, give them that voice to be able to be able to do so. Um, but it's. It's not. It's, it's becoming less and less common in China, which is great, which is really wonderful, especially with um, dog and cat meat. It's not as prevalent, but it still goes on. And uh, so I think it's really up to us to try to, to do our best to end it. Well, you are certainly doing a lot to end it, and I'm so grateful for all the work that you're doing. So let us know again that website. It's animalsasia.org. And, Wonderful. Um, thank you so much for having me. We, we so appreciate it. Well, I so appreciate having you on. That's terrific. Thank you so much, Paula. Mm-hmm. And everybody, you, yes, check out this website. If you're not familiar with what's going on over there, it's something that anybody who cares about animals does need to know about. And I find it very exciting that the farmer himself is wanting to do something different. Exactly. This, this just yep. tells me yeah. that... Consciousness is uh, rising, or I'm not sure if I said that, use the right verb, but it's going up. Yeah. So thank you, yeah, Paula. And now we're going. Changing. Yes, thank you. Be well. Bye-bye. And I believe we Bye. now have Paul Shapiro. Bye. Um, on the Hi, line. Victoria. How are you doing? Hey, I'm terrific. How are you? I'm doing just fine, thanks. It's an honor Wonder- to be on. Well, it is an honor to have you on because the last time I saw you was in a movie I saw you being all charming in Speciesism, the movie. Uh, and if, it, if I yet. was charming in the movie, it's only because of the skill of the editor, Mark Devries, not because of anything <laughs> to do with my personality. Well, he's great, and it's a, a wonderful film. But I'll tell you something that I liked about you in that documentary. You were cooking guy food, and I think that one of the difficult um, kind of of challenges that that we have sometimes trying to interest people in moving in the vegan word direction is so often it just seems like, well, you know, real men don't eat tofu, but you just, you just cook that stuff in a very manly fashion and um, it was all good. 
Uh, that's so funny, Victoria. Thanks. I, I do. I do want to put out a suggestion to any tofu marketers out there. I have long thought that they ought to be doing ads in men's health and men's fitness, saying that tofu is not just full of protein, but it's full of protein. Because indeed, <laughs> uh, you know, you know. Look, um, whatever definition for manliness one wants to use, certainly real men don't use their strength to abuse others who can't defend themselves. They use it to protect those who are vulnerable. And there are a lot of men who believe that animals don't exist just to serve us, that indeed we should in fact be trying to show them mercy, that we should be showing them compassion. And so when you look at the cadre of vegan athletes in the NFL, the NBA, and in other high levels of professional sport, it becomes very clear that you don't have to abuse animals in order to, quote-unquote, be a man. That, in fact, real men use their strength to protect others, not to harm them. Well, and I'm talking to one of those, and I need to introduce you in case somebody is not familiar with you. So let me do that, and then uh, we'll go forward. But no, that's the beautifully, beautifully put. You remind me of the fireman I used to date, who, whenever it was his turn to cook at the firehouse, made something called bloodless stew, it was tempeh and tomatoes and onions and garlic and lots of cayenne pepper. Paul Shapiro is the vice president of Farm Animal Protection at the Humane Society of the United States and the founder of Compassion Over Killing. He's been interviewed in hundreds of broadcast media and published dozens of papers on animal protection from mainstream newspapers to academic journals. He's widely recognized as an expert in farm animal advocacy. What does that mean, farm animal advocacy? Uh, that is a great question, Victoria. For many decades, in fact, really over a century now, the animal protection movement has made a lot of headlines, but most of it has been in relation to the treatment of dogs, cats, wildlife, and it's important for those animals. They need protection as well. But the overwhelming majority of animals who we are abusing are those animals who are raising for food. In fact, more than 9 out of 10 of all of the animals who humans are institutionally exploiting are animals who we raise and kill for food. And so when you look at it that way, it becomes quite clear that farm animals do need advocates. They need advocacy. That factory farms, these places that produce nearly all of the meat, eggs, and dairy that are produced in our country, these factory farms aren't going to go away on their own. They're only going to go away when animal advocates and others join together to start combating them. So I have been very honored and, and very pleased to be a part of the farm animal protection community to really shine a bright spotlight on this dark and relatively hidden world of farm animal abuse. And you're doing a, a masterful job of it. So tell us, what, what is the meat industry's response? I know that Humane Society of the United States does a lot of undercover investigations. We're hearing about these ag-gag laws. What's the backlash? Sure. Great question, Victoria. Groups like the Humane Society of the United States and Compassion Over Killing and Mercy for Animals have been doing a lot of undercover exposés at slaughter plants, at factory farms, and more. And time after time after time, we're uncovering egregious cruelty to animals that's leading to criminal convictions, slaughter plant shutdowns, meat recalls, and more. And the meat industry's response to our whistleblowing exposés is not to try to prevent the types of abuses that we're uncovering. Rather, it's simply to try to prevent the American people simply from finding out about these abuses in the first place. And they're doing it with these so-called ag-gag whistleblower suppression bills that seek to make it a crime to conduct undercover investigations at agribusinesses. In most states where they've introduced these bills, we have been able to defeat the bills. In a couple, they've been able to pass them, like in Iowa and in Idaho and Utah. And uh, those ones in Idaho and Utah are now being challenged in court. But these are pretty draconian laws. I mean, if you look at Utah's law, it says that it's a crime just to take a photo of a factory farm or a slaughter plant without the owner's permission or to take a video. And so even if you're standing across the street, you don't even have to be on their property, and you pull out your iPhone and you start videotaping 
from across the street, them loading animals into the slaughter plant, that could be considered a crime in a state like Utah now. And so this just goes to show how desperate the meat industry is and how it is grasping at straws to try to keep people in the dark about its very sordid track record of animal cruelty, food safety problems, and more. Wow. That's that's a lot. So what what are you do what what are some of the campaigns that you're following up on to get some of this stopped or changed? There are a whole host of campaigns now to criminalize various inhumane factory farming practices. You see, the issue, Victoria, is that for many decades the meat industry has been able to treat animals pretty much however it wants. And the result of this system of nearly entirely unregulated animal agribusiness is that we now have some practices that have become the norm that are so cruel, that are so extreme, that they are really just out of step with mainstream American values about how animals ought to be treated. And so, for example, if you look at practices like gestation crates for pigs or battery cages for egg-laying hens, these are cages that are used to essentially immobilize animals for basically their entire lives, not temporary holding, not temporary confinement, but 24-7 for essentially their whole lives. And the overwhelming majority of the American people oppose this type of extreme confinement. And so we have been going on a campaign state by state, both on ballots and in legislatures, to end these practices by asking people, do you think that farm animals ought to be able to engage in some pretty basic movements? For example, like turning around and extending their limbs. And if people vote yes in favor of these, then it has the effect of banning some of these extreme confinement practices. Just 12 years ago, Victoria, there wasn't a single state in our entire country that had banned any factory farming practice. Today, we've banned practices now in 10 states, ranging from veal crates for calves, gestation crates for pigs, battery cages for laying hens, force feeding of ducks and geese for foie gras, tail docking of dairy cows, and so on. And so what we're starting to see is a framework of modest legal protections for farm animals that will certainly uh, set the precedent that these animals have interests that matter, that their suffering is a matter of of such importance that it deserves consideration under the law. Wow. Do you feel that your position at HSUS working for farmed animals is more challenging than some of the others? I know you guys work for every kind of animal <laughs> abuse that's out there, but it seems to me that the farmed animals and I guess laboratories too, particularly using animals for medical research, those are sometimes harder to get public opinion behind. Uh, you know, I have to tell you, Victoria, I've been really surprised that pretty much every animal abuse industry does seem to have its defenders. I mean, even the cockfighters have their own trade groups that go around and lobby, even though cockfighting is criminal in all 50 states. Amazingly, they still have their own trade group trying to go around to um, decriminalize or to lessen penalties and so on on cockfighters. So I do think that other coworkers of mine who are working on other issues still have their work certainly cut out for them. But I agree with your general sentiment. The fact is that unlike practices like cockfighting or dogfighting, um, the meat industry is the multi-billion dollar industry that touches nearly all Americans' lives on a daily basis. This is an extremely influential lobby in Washington. It's one reason why the meat, egg, and dairy industries receive billions of dollars indirectly through subsidies from the federal government subsidizing their most expensive input, which is the feed that they give to their animals. And it's the reason why you see so many state law lawmakers trying to kowtow to, the, to these industries and um, recognizing that the meat industry really uh, has significant political influence. Uh, at the same time, there are far more people who care about the treatment of animals who want to stop these factory farming practices than there are people who are actually working in the factory farming industry. And so while the industry may have a lot of money to be able to influence lawmaking, they don't have some of the advantages that we have, which are, one, that we have far more people. We do often have public opinion on our side when it's an informed 
when it's an informed public, when people find out about standard practices in the meat industry. And most importantly, right is on our side. And I truly believe that no lie can live forever and that the more we do to help inform our friends and our family about the horrible cruelties that are so typical in the meat industry, when we inform them about the many benefits of eating a plant-based diet for not only to prevent cruelty to animals, but also for the planet, and of course, so that we can look and feel better ourselves, I really do believe that the meat industry's influence will start to wane at that point. Ooh, I believe it too. And that's why this is the Main Street Vegan Radio Show on Unity Online Radio. And we'll be back after these messages. in a state of change, a period of transition? Perhaps you simply don't know which way to turn, or you want guidance on taking that next step in your personal or professional life. You can activate the power of yes with Reverend Beverly Melander. As a new thought minister and next step counselor, she knows how to listen to where you are and help you get to where you want to be. With 20 plus years of experience, she offers spiritual counseling and affirmative prayer next step counseling for your personal or professional life, as well as resume writing and editing. To learn more about Beverly's counseling services, visit beverlymelander.net. That's Beverly, M O L A N D E R.net. You know the saying, a good deed is its own reward? Well, moving toward a plant-based diet and vegan lifestyle is one kind and compassionate act that isn't just its own reward. It will also reward you with vibrant health, boundless energy, an easy way to keep your weight where you want it, and according to Yogi's and Unity's co-founder Charles Fillmore, even give a boost to your spiritual life. On Main Street Vegan, the radio program named for the popular book, Victoria Moran will make your move in a vegan direction easy, fun, affordable, and delicious. With enticing topics and entertaining guests every Wednesday at 2 p.m. Central Time, only on Unity Online Radio, the voice of an awakening world. Thank you for tuning in for Main Street Vegan. Here is your host, Victoria Moran. Welcome back, everybody. You are listening to Main Street Vegan. I'm Victoria Moran, and my guest is Paul Shapiro, Vice President for Farm Animal Protection at the Humane Society of the United States. You can find out about all their good work at humanesociety.org. And yesterday, Earth Day, Mr. Paul Shapiro, you were in the paper. You had a big old article in the Baltimore Sun. And what did you tell people they should do if they really care about the Earth? Uh, thanks so much, Victoria, for mentioning it. Yeah, the Baltimore Sun ran an, uh, an op-ed of mine yesterday on Earth Day in which they entitled it Eat Less Chicken. And the basic point that I make in the op-ed is that, you know, if you're walking down a supermarket aisle and you pick up a chicken, put it in your supermarket cart, when you do that, you really ought to go over to the beverage aisle and also pick up nine gallons of water so that you can go dump all that water out when you bring that chicken home and that's just the amount of water needed to slaughter that bird, not even taking into account the amount of water that's needed to raise the bird from hatching to the slaughter plant. Just the amount of water needed to slaughter that bird, nine gallons of water, and that's more water per what they call pound of live weight of animal than even uh, cattle or pig slaughter plants. And the other amount of water is over 1,000 gallons for the for each chicken's production. So what I said in the paper is that if you really want to conserve water for Earth Day, not buying one chicken and switching instead to a um, lower uh, water type of usage, like a vegan meal, not buying that one chicken would probably save more water than if you didn't take a shower for six months. So anyway, my real point is to bring up, of course, that I don't want people to stop showering, but I do think that people ought to really consider when they're about to buy that chicken, not only the suffering the bird endured, not only whatever health consequences there may be for themselves by consuming that bird, but if you're really concerned about the earth, really think about buying a vegan meal instead. 
Oh, and that's so important for people to know about because I think people are aware of of beef cattle and and the size of a cow, but they just seem to think that that chickens in in all kinds of ways, whether whether it's the suffering of chickens or the environmental impact of raising and killing chickens, well, that just doesn't matter as much. It matters every bit as much. So yeah, and it, and it and it takes even more water for slaughtering a chicken per pound of live weight than it does to slaughter a cow or a pig, and that should be shouted from the environmental rooftops. So, in terms of animal abuse, which animal industry in the agriculture sector do you feel is the most abusive? Mm, that's a that's a really good question, Victoria. I'll tell you. Um, you know, all of these various industries have their own abusive practices, but you can't ignore the fact that if you had to be, if you had to pick which farm animal you were going to end up being, you would really not want to be a pig who's used for breeding or an egg-laying hen. Uh, these animals generally suffer more than most other animals do on like a per-animal basis, and um, they're uh, the amount of misery that they endure really is basically unfathomable. I mean, if you look at the egg industry alone, each bird uh, who is caged, which is nearly all of the egg-laying hens, about 9 out of 10 of them, um, each one of them has less space than a sheet of paper on which to live for more than a year before she's slaughtered. And it really is difficult to imagine a more miserable existence. And we wouldn't treat the worst murderers and rapists in our society the way that we treat these farm animals. You have to ask ourselves, like, what crime could these animals possibly have committed? If we take heinous criminals in our society and put them in a prison cell where it was so tight that they literally couldn't even turn around for their entire lives prior to being killed, nobody would ever allow that type of inhumane treatment of prisoners. And yet these farm animals, the chickens and the pigs, they've committed no crime whatsoever. The only crime they've committed is being born into the wrong species, which is quite a misfortune for them. And it's time that we end this assault against these animals, that we start endure- that we start implementing a more peaceful, less violent relationship with our fellow creatures on this planet. And we can start by banning these type of inhumane confinement systems. So is that the most important thing we can do to help animals? Uh, well, I think as a matter of public policy, that's certainly a critical thing that we can do on an individual level. Really, perhaps the most important thing that anybody can do to help animals is the first step is to start cutting back on the number of animals who they're eating. Reducing our meat consumption really is perhaps the most important single action an individual can take to lessen the amount of suffering that they are causing to animals. And when you look at the the ranking of America compared to other countries, we sit nearly atop the world when it comes to per capita meat consumption. We eat more meat on a per-person basis than nearly any other nation on the face of the planet. That has enormous consequences, negative consequences, for animals, for the planet, and for American public health. And so, fortunately, uh, meat consumption in the U.S. has started to decline in the last six or seven years. And even with that decline, we've seen about a 10% decline in per capita meat consumption uh, in the U.S., which is unprecedented and terrific news. But even with that, we still are nearly atop the world for per capita meat consumption, and it's time for us to start eating a saner, more humane, more ecologically sustainable diet. And everybody should see Speciesism, the movie, and watch you cook in those burgers just like a regular guy. I think we get more people. Yeah, veggie burgers, of course. Don't write to me and say that I said that you ate burgers. So something <laughs> that that you said, I don't even know if you noticed it, but I caught it and it was so beautiful. You talked about the animals whom we eat as opposed to that we eat. And I understand that according to Chicago Manual of Style, we're supposed to say that. We're supposed to render them genderless and speciesless, but I was just, I'm working on my new book and I was making notes for the copy editor today and I said, throughout, animals will be referred to as who and he and she instead of it and that. And it's subtle, but I think it means something. I agree. It does mean something. Words do matter. And I 
often find it an annoyance when newspapers uh, who publish my work, well, I'm grateful to them for publishing the work, when they change little things like that, for example, um, like who to that or she to it, uh, it, it definitely um, is, is, gets under my skin. Well, I hope they didn't do that to you in Baltimore because Baltimore has invited both of us to town. And um, Paul Shapiro and I are going to be speaking at the Baltimore Veg Fest. You can just Google that. It's the Humane League in Baltimore. It's putting on their Veggie Fest um, this a week from this weekend, Saturday, May the 3rd. So if you are in the Baltimore or D.C. area, do get over there and check us out. Say hello to the two of us. Now, Paul, I know when we go to that Veg Fest, they're going to be vegans there. They're going to be vegetarians there. And they're also going to be lots and lots of people who just find this fascinating, curious, and kind of delicious. It seems to me that the reason that I can find more food to eat at airports is probably not because of all of us vegans, but because of people who are just cutting back. Is that what you see? Uh, Victoria, it's not only what I see, it's what the polling shows as well. The, it's really fascinating. You know, people like you and I have been vegan for a long time. Uh, I have been vegan now for more than 20 years. I think it's a good thing to do, obviously, because I'm doing it. At the same time, the explosion in demand for vegan products is not because so many people are becoming vegans. The polling shows that the population of Americans who are vegetarian or vegan has remained relatively constant for decades. However, the portion of Americans that is starting to eat more vegan food, that's starting to reduce their meat consumption, is what is really skyrocketing. In fact, 16% of Americans now polled say that they eat vegetarian more than half the time. And this is really critical because while there may be a lot of people who think that they could never become a vegetarian or they could never become a vegan, they may be willing to do something like a meatless Monday, or maybe they're willing to do Mark Bittman's suggestion of being vegan before 6 p.m. every day. And these people matter. They matter because they are the reason per capita consumption of meat in the United States has been declining. In fact, per capita consumption of meat in the U.S. has declined so much that we are now slaughtering half a billion fewer animals per year than we were just six or seven years ago. And half a billion is a huge number. I remember, you know, people used to talk about 10 billion animals being killed for food, 10 billion land animals being killed for food. Um, It really got up to around 9.5 billion in 2007, and it's dropped to around 9 billion today. And so every year from World War II to, to 2007, the number of land animals who are slaughtered for food in the United States continued to rise and rise and rise. And that's both because of increasing human population in the country and increasing per capita consumption of animals. Today, though, we see so much decrease in demand for meat coming from because of these meat reducers, not the meat eliminators, but the meat reducers, that half a billion animals a year have been spared the miseries, the factory farms, and slaughter plants. And so I take great comfort in these statistics showing that Americans are starting to eat less meat, and it's a trend that we ought to be welcoming with open arms. We need to be a welcoming, big-tent community. We want to be a movement, not a club. And by allowing folks into our tent who are making strides down the right path, who are taking good steps in the right direction, we will make greater progress for animals than we ever could in other ways. As the saying goes, you want to applaud people for taking their first step, not punish them for not taking the last. Hear, hear. I always think this, Paul, when I go to a really, really nice vegan restaurant here in New York City, we've got pure food and wine down there at Irving Place. It's really pricey. If you go at night, I usually go for lunch. But I look around this always packed restaurant and I think these are not a bunch of vegans. (laughs) (laughs) These are people who want a different culinary experience. And so they're going to the vegan place. And in that case, the raw vegan place. I mean, it's amazing how open people can be. And once they start to see that they like the food and they like how they feel, and then they learn a little bit about what's behind it, well, there's no way to go but further. (laughs) Uh, Indeed, I do believe that progress begets progress. 
I think that this concept of vegan eating that was once so firmly in the margins of our society is now firmly in the mainstream of our society. We have cultural icons from Bill Clinton and Al Gore to Ellen and Oprah who are extolling the benefits of eating more plants and eating fewer animals. I mean, when I became a vegan in 1993, people didn't know what the word meant. They didn't even know how to pronounce it. Today, though, we have seen this explosion in popularity of this, and it can't come soon enough. I wish it would have come sooner, but it's coming now, and we are going to reap the benefits for animals as a result of it. Oh, that's absolutely thrilling. So what's on the horizon? What is HSUS doing that you're just as excited as you can be about? We have a lot going on. Uh, HSUS is working with directors of dining across the country to help them implement meat reduction programs. This is in school districts, hospital cafeterias, corporate cafeterias, prison cafeterias, anywhere where a lot of meat is being purchased, we're working directly with those directors of dining in order to help them implement programs, whether they be Meatless Mondays or other meat reduction programs. For example, uh, last year we worked with the Los Angeles School District, the second biggest school district in the country. They serve 650,000 meals every single weekday. And now, as a result of our work with them, every single one of those meals on Mondays is entirely vegetarian. Over wow. half a million fewer meat-based meals at once a week during the school year for K-12 through in L.A. We did the same thing in San Diego with the K-8 through schools, and we're implementing it through food service providers and more throughout the country. I couldn't be more excited about this work because it is so instrumental in helping to show kids that plant-based eating can be great. It's helpful for these schools to get um, their public health and sustainability initiatives underway, and it's just a win-win all around for for everybody involved, the students, the schools, the animals, and, and so on. So that's one thing. We're also working very hard to ban inhumane factory farming practices like gestation crates and battery cages. We have bills pending to do those to do that in states, for example, like Massachusetts, Connecticut, New Jersey, and so on. We very well may have a measure on the ballot this November in Colorado that would limit certain types of cruelties to to dairy cows. So the fight continues to gain animals legal protections from abuses that are currently standard in the meat, egg, and dairy industries, and we want to keep moving that needle to ensure that these animals get the types of protections that are so, so overdue. Oh, well, you're certainly doing that. I love what you talked about with the the school district. Fran Costigan, the vegan pastry chef, and I were on the phone with Norwegian Cruise Lines. We're going to be doing the first Main Street Vegan and Wellness Cruise next February with them. And we had been concerned that when they sent us the, the menus... They had on something called Jello, and we were saying, "But Jello, that that's not even vegetarian, much less vegan." And the chef said, well, "We know that. We, we were going to do the vegan Jello from seaweed, and ah, it was just love it. so refreshing that people know, even if they're not identifying with us completely yet." It is known largely because of, of work that you're doing, and, and so many good people out there. So do you have a last word in our last minute? The last word that I want to say is that progress is being made, that for years the animal protection movement has been right about this factory farming debate, and now we're finding ourselves not just on the right side, we're finding ourselves on the winning side time and time again. And for those of us who have been involved in the movement for a very long time, it can take a little bit of getting used to, to recognize that the animal movement is on the offense, that we are making progress. We're moving the ball down the field, and we still have a very, very long way to go. But I do believe that we will create a new type of society, that we will create a more humane society, a society in which our relationship with other animals isn't based just on violence and domination, but rather will be based upon compassion and respect. And every single person who's out there in the animal advocacy field right now trying to give these farm animals a voice, trying to help people empathize with them and make changes in their lifestyle to create an animal-friendlier lifestyle for our fellow Americans, the fact is that each one of you will be able to say when that day arrives that, you know, you were there. 
that you didn't sit idly by on the sidelines while animals were languishing on factory farms, that you got into the game, you shined a light on that dark world that they were in, that you helped take the side of the vulnerable against the cruelty of the powerful, and that we helped wage and win campaigns for these farm animals. Farm animals wow. can't campaign for themselves. <laughs> they need us to do it for them. That was a brilliant last word. Thank you so much, Paul Shapiro, HSUS. You can find out more about their wonderful work at humanesociety.org. Thanks so much for being with us today, Paul. Thanks, Jeff, for engineering. And thank you for listening. God bless your heart and eat those veggies. Thank you for listening to Main Street Vegan. Join us every Wednesday at 2 p.m. Central Time as Victoria Moran entertains, educates, and inspires you on your vegan journey. This program is sponsored by Main Street Vegan. To learn more about Victoria or to explore training with Main Street Vegan Academy as a vegan lifestyle coach, go to www.mainstreetvegan.net. That's www.mainstreetvegan.net. Does the idea of being a vegetarian or a vegan intrigue you? Is it something you've pondered? Listen each week as Victoria Moran, author of Main Street Vegan, shows you how to make the shift to a sustainable lifestyle for both you and the planet. Each week you'll learn about the latest on the vegan life. It's not just for celebrities and moguls, but for people just like you who want to look and feel amazing, eat extraordinary food, help animals, and create a physical body perfectly attuned to spiritual growth. Guests will range from unity ministers to vegan authors, activists, physicians, chefs, and even some of those glittery celebs. There'll be recipes, ideas, tips for going vegan at your own pace, and ways to make a difference for animals and the planet at every meal. Tune in Wednesdays at 2 p.m. Central Time for Main Street Vegan, only on Unity Online Radio, the voice of an awakening world. Inspiration only takes a moment. We invite you to focus your attention inward with these words from Elizabeth Searle Lamb. This is a new day. Lead your conscious mind to that still haven of your soul where your indwelling Christ opens wide the doorway of your heart. At once, mind, soul, and body, you are flooded with the light and love of God. You are lifted high above this earthly plane and filled with the radiance of spirit. Send this love and light on to those whom you hold dear so that it may uplift heal and comfort them as you send this radiance on you are filled with a new sense of god's power and you release this power to the whole world to uplift guide and bless all people a day's tasks await you but god is with you and with god's help all shall be done perfectly this meditative moment is brought to you by unity Does music open your heart and bring you peace and joy? Experience the sacredness of sound with Ramdesh Kaur as we travel the world of mantra, kundalini yoga, and devotional music. Join us for a journey into spirit, Thursdays at 4 p.m. Central, 5 p.m. Eastern, on Spirit Voyage Radio with Ramdesh. Only on Unity Online Radio, the voice of an awakening world. is full of voices, advertising, television, politics, colleagues, family, and friends. All are too happy to tell us how to live. In all of that noise, it's easy to miss the one voice that matters, your own soul. What would happen if you could hear that voice? Imagine the clarity, confidence, and courage that would be yours and the life you could create. 
Join Janet Connor, best-selling author of Writing Down Your Soul, The Lotus and the Lily, and Your Soul Wants Five Things, as she and her guests explore how to hear the call of the soul and create the soul-directed life. Live Thursday at 1 p.m. Central, only on Unity Online Radio, the voice of an awakening world. Go inside to find my God. Hi, I'm Liz Winter, and I have been a medium and a spiritual development teacher for over 30 years. On my podcast, All Aboard the Medium Ship, I want to share the message with you that there is a wealth of love and comfort available to you from the spirit world. On my podcast, you can experience this comfort and peace for yourself through gentle guided meditations and helpful messages. Make sure you subscribe and follow so you never miss an episode. Part of the MindBodySpirit.fm podcast network.